If you're looking to start a podcast, you've got to understand whether it fits in with your own business goals. One in every three people now have listened to a podcast. Why don't you have some kind of strategy in the audio space? Why then aren't you getting yourself involved as a guest or some other activity in podcasting? Hello, I'm Andrew May, and you're listening to the NAB Business Fit Podcast, where we talk with experts across a range of fields to find out what fuels them and to learn lessons that can be applied to running a small business. Small business is in my veins, from running a lawn mowing business in high school in Dubbo, to traveling the world as a strength and conditioning coach in elite sport, to creating cultures of well-being with workplace performance consultancy, Strive Stronger. I live and breathe small business. Our guest today will feel right at home. He has interviewed some of Australia's leading business experts, edited hundreds of interviews and produced dozens of audio programs and podcasts. Chris Ashmore is a senior producer at Sound Cartel. He is also an acclaimed judge of the Australian Podcast Awards and the Webby Awards. And for over 10 years, Chris has produced interview-style audio programs and podcasts for some of Australia's best-known brands, including, get this, Australia Post, Officeworks, REA Group, the Australian Government, the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons, the Olive Wellness Institute and Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. If you've ever, if you've ever thought about creating your own podcast, this episode is for you as we delve deeper into all things that either makes or breaks a podcast series. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Andrew, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure and privilege to talk with you. I was nervous. And before uh, every podcast, I read notes and go through who my guest is. And Chris Ashmore, now we met, you you interviewed me a number of months ago for one of your many roles with Sound Cartel, which is the Business Essentials Daily. And at the end of it, we were having a bit of a chat. And I said, I'd like to interview you. So anyway, in getting prepared for this, my heart rate was up. And the wizard knows that before a big presentation, Chris, I try and move my state. More often than not, it's I have to relax and come back down. Uh, some days I have to sort of do exercise and get myself back up. But I felt positively nervous interviewing you. <laughs> so how do you control state? Well, it's funny you should say that. I don't do a lot of – I'm not on this side of the microphone, if that kind of makes sense. Um, I'm not one to be interviewed, and it's good for me to get into this position to understand it, but uh, I'm kind of the opposite as an interviewer. Instead of um, meditating or relaxing, I up my energy levels. I'll, I'll do push-ups or star jumps to get that energy out because uh, it, it comes through when you when you talk. But then again, I'm not in the hot seat most of the time, which I feel that perhaps I am now. Um, But I can understand that you need to get into some sort of uh, state, mental state, before Mm. you do this because you are performing. It's a sweet spot, isn't it? If you're under-aroused, that's why you could do push-ups. And and I do this with a number of my athletes. So we talk about five being the ultimate number, the inverted U hypothesis, Mm. and you've got arousal on the vertical axis and the horizontal axis is performance. So that the peak, you know, the middle optimum arousal level for optimum performance, if you think of a number five on that inverted U. So what I'll do is do push-ups and star jumps if I'm tired, but more often than not, if I'm over-aroused, I'll try and wind myself back mm. to be calm and considerate because otherwise I've done some interviews and some talks where I'm so excited and I talk so fast uh-huh. and you, you watch it or listen back and go, oh, slow down, big guy, slow down. That's that's it. And look, it is a performance, and I know 
we all hear people beating the drum that it's got to be a conversation. And look, it, it should be conversational. It should be sound as if you're listening in because the listener is listening. They're voyeuristic. They want to listen to people talk about things and they want to hear two people or three people, you know, feel comfortable with each other to have that conversation. But don't kid yourself. It's not really a conversation. I mean, look, we've got microphones here. We know there's an audience out there, hundreds or thousands of people listening. And it's, it's an artificial conversation. And there's probably things that we're going to say or not say that we would say in a conversation. I mean, we could talk about this later, but mm. if you think of the definition of what is a conversation, a conversation really is two people, maybe three or four, where the audience is you and each other and you want to get the best out of um, having that enjoyment with whoever you're with for yourself. Whereas a podcast or any kind of, um, whether it's on stage, you're doing it not for yourself, but you're doing it for an audience. So it is a performance, but it should sound conversational. And that, that's the trick, really. I have so many questions for you about the podcast formula. We're going to discuss the why, the who, the how. Why mm. should you podcast? Who should you podcast for? And how do you set up a podcast? But before that, with all of our guests, and I've heard you do this on Sound Cartel, so I'm taking one of your leads, we like <laughs> to find out more about our guests. So rather than just diving into the podcast formula, a couple of questions about you. Now, I've checked out your website and fact check me on this if I got anything out of skew, but I'd love to start with this quote to have our listeners find out a little bit more about the guy that is behind a lot of the podcasts. In 2002, when younger Chris went on a journey that changed his life, he booked a flight to Tokyo with the intention of staying a year or two, but he fell in love. Not once, he fell in love twice, first with the country, then with a beautiful and intelligent woman named Takeo. They married in 2008 and 2014 returned to Australia with Takeo and their daughter, Jasmine. Well, this is like an episode of This Is Your Life. We're going to have Mike Munro walk into your studio soon with a book and, hey, oh, there's great Uncle Ned who I haven't seen for five years. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, 2002, this was uh, about six months after the World Trade Center collapse in uh, New York and uh, – not that that's significant why I left, but it was basically at a, I wanted to go on an, an adventure. Um, I love travel. I've been to many different other places in the world. And I thought I'd just take a year or two off and have a bit of an adventure in Japan and then come back. And as you say, you, you know, you fall in love. <laughs> and one or two years turned into 13 years. Um, absolute. Incredible time. Obviously, 13 years there, I loved it um, and met my beautiful wife around 2006. We married in 2008 and um, it was time for us to come back to Australia when our daughter was ready to go to school. And I always, I mean, we, we decided, of course, but I thought um, Australia might offer better educational opportunities and open spaces, all that kind of thing. Um, but it was wonderful, 13 years, yeah. You obviously speak fluent Japanese. So, Watashi wa Andrew desu, Ogenki desu ka? Chris There's different levels of fluency, but yes. I'll listen to your language though. Like mine's Watashi wa Andrew desu, Ogenki. So, you, you, you obviously speak fluent Japanese. You're married to a lovely Japanese woman. How has that led to being good in audio? Now, I know that seems like quite an obscure question, and you might go, it doesn't, and we'll move on to the podcast process. 
or does it? No, it absolutely does. Oh, that's that's a good question because um, I had never learned a language before and um, living in Japan, living in another country where you're learning the language is the best way to do it, obviously, because you are immersed in it and every day you're thinking about talking in that language. So it's, it's a much easier. And what got me thinking about not just Japanese language, but language in general, is that how we learn a language is often, um, it's, it's not so much cerebral. It's not just a matter of remembering words. It's, it's using those words in action. And learning that for someone to, un- to understand you, you've got to understand how you talk and what words you use and in what order you use them and not using so much um, slang or 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 superfluous words. You're very concise with your speaking. And on the converse, when you learn a language, you learn the, the patterns of language. And so you're always conscious of what you're saying as you're saying it. Whereas if you don't learn a language, um, a second language, I mean, if you're, lear- if you're speaking the language from birth, you don't really think about how you talk. It's autopilot, isn't it? It you is. just press it play is. and just go. Don't even that- think about it. That's right. And so you're not really cognizant of what whether the person who's listening to you understands what you're saying. So when you're putting together a podcast, if you're working with Sound Cartel or one of the many podcasts you do, do you go into that Japanese beginner's mindset when you're learning a language? And do you, do you actually consciously think of that? Or is it just giving you more of an understanding on you know, how to cut words, get to the point? Uh, it's more about being... Knowing your words, knowing the English language, knowing what is the better word. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but um, see, my wife, when we met in 2006, she didn't speak English. So we, we I mean, we, we had the language of love, Andrew, but no, <laughs> we conversed in Japanese. I didn't today- realize we were going to have a romance story today <laughs> as well, Chris, because you, you're delivering on multiple levels. We haven't even got to the podcast process yet, and you've taken us on a romantic <laughs> sojourn. So paint the picture when you met. We'll add some music to this, Thomas, as well, in the pre-production or the post-production. Where did you meet? Well, we, we met, she picked me up in a bar, to be honest. But, how did you uh, <laughs> how did you converse the language of love? Was it just the eyes locked? Oh, oh you know, I, you can convert sort of, um, uh, you know, stupid jokes into a different language if you try hard enough. And you I had use your slapstick Australian humour to pick up a wonderful Japanese woman who spoke none of the English language. Well, maybe she didn't understand me, and that's why we're still together. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I digress. I think it's a lovely story. When we met, um, she didn't speak English, but over time she learnt to, to speak English, and uh, there was that mixture of English and Japanese together. So for me... Um, it was very important that communication between us was something that we both developed and worked on. And in certain ways, we have our own language. We, sh- she would often speak in Japanese and I'd answer in English and then we'd go down different ways of talking where that communication is very much something that we work on together and using that communication when doing a podcast, for example, you're always, and I said this just earlier, you're cognizant of whether the listener understands what you're saying. And it really does help when you learn another language to have that understanding. 
Mm, I like that. It's uh, it's different, different way of just going through the podcast process. But we're going to get to that. And before I do, I've got a statement and two questions for you. Uh, the statement, in fact, I'm reading a press clipping. This is over 12 months ago. Joe Rogan Experience has just signed a $100 million multi-year exclusive licensing deal with Spotify. That's the statement. The question, what is one of your favorite podcasts? Ah, uh, good. Well, this can, do I... Can I answer the statement first? I think we might answer the statement. I'm going to leave an open loop and uh, okay. for our audiences so they have to keep listening. And uh, I'm going to ask you the why, the who, the how, and has Joe Rogan actually nailed the process or has he been lucky? Yes and yes. Yes and Ooh, yes. Okay. Uh, I actually want to dig in deeper, but let's stick to my running sheet. <laughs> Can't take me too off script, Chris. I won't know what to, what to do. Um, so we'll come back to that, the Joe Rogan experience. Because I think every podcaster now looks at that and goes, wow, Joe Rogan signed a $100 million US deal. How do I do that? And I think that's, we've sort of gone, you know, we talk about Mars landing or moon landing. That's up there, right? For, us, right. for a lot of people, they just yeah. want to start. But I just wanted to sort of elevate. That's where people are aiming for. Uh, the question, first question, what is one of your favourite podcasts? One of mine at the moment, this is going to sound a bit weird, but is um, a lot of podcasts from Gimlet, big uh, podcasting company in the United States. They have one at the moment, I think it's called Fantasy. And okay. um, anything that comes out, I'll listen to. That it comes out from Gimlet, I'll listen to. And uh, this is exclusive on Spotify, by the way. It's funny how you mentioned Spotify. It's free as long as you've got a Spotify app. It's free, but it's only exclusive on Spotify. And it looks at the history of the Chippendales. Wow. <laughs> now, I'm not necessarily a fan of the Chippendales, but I like it because it tells the story of the, the early beginnings and from a business point of view as well, how they um, started in Los Angeles a bit in a sort of a seedy kind of a market. And they saw a niche where at the time there was nothing for the ladies. And uh, they almost stumbled upon this act and they and it built up. And, you know, of course, there's sex, there's crime, there's drugs, there's jail, all these stories involved with the Chippendales. It's something that no one has really looked into and they've done it so well. So at the moment, that's what I'm listening to, yeah. Oh, so we're going to come back to Joe Rogan. We're going to come back to the Chippendales on Gimlet. And I've got a third question, which we'll leave, and I'll ask that after we've gone through the podcast process. Because you know, you're a podcaster, you're used to doing this. So I've got to have you guessing a little bit, right? We can't just put everything on the table. Um, so the first question in the podcast process, when we look at the why, the obvious one, Chris, why should people start a podcast? What well, good question. So it Everything starts with the why. And if you're looking to start a podcast, you've got to understand whether it fits in with your own business goals. This is a business podcast, so I assume this is the audience are business owners. So why? Well, let's have a look at the statistics perhaps. There are – what is there? You know, there's about one in every three people now have listened to a podcast. You want to know whether it's your audience that are listening to to them. And those under the age of 45, 72% of them are listening to a podcast on a regular basis. And it's always in surveys and research, those that are more educated, those that are more affluent, tend to, and those that are sort of under the age of 45, they're the ones that tend to listen to a podcast. So if you've got a product or a service that is targeting that demographic, 
My question is why not? Why don't you have some kind of strategy in the audio space? Now, it may not necessarily mean that you should have a podcast, but why then aren't you getting yourself involved as a guest or some other um, activity in podcasting? Interesting you say that some strategy in audio, because I think when we first went down this, meaning me and my business Strive Stronger and all of our team, we thought podcast was the only alternative, but that's interesting framing on that, right? Look at some sort of audio mix. So it doesn't necessarily have to be your podcast. You could be on other people's podcasts. I see people now putting audio on websites as well. Well, that's right. But I mean, podcasting, I mean, we, we talked about the audio cassette before. That That is a podcast, but it's on a different distribution channel if you think about it. Yeah. A podcast tends to put it inside a box you need to think outside the square. Uh, and a podcast isn't necessarily, it doesn't have to be the Joe Rogan experience where it's two people talking or three people talking. It can be a monologue. It can go for five minutes. And we can talk about this later, some other types of audio that ain't necessarily podcasts. Yeah, it's good because I want to expand people's view of what they can do and why they should do it. And I listened to a podcast from Sound Cartel last week. It came in my inbox, which is a, a form of amplification we'll get to. But the facts are, in 2020 alone, 900,000 new podcasts started. In 2019, 320,000 new podcasts. So there's a stark difference, almost three times more podcasts in 2020. Now, obviously, the year of COVID-19 lockdown, that would have had a lot to do with that. A lot of people had more time. Uh, are you still seeing that continue in 2021 and beyond, or has it slowed down a little bit, the proliferation of podcasts? It, it hasn't slowed down at all, probably for the last 10 years. And th- that's surprising that it's increased three times the number of podcasts that have started. And I can't see that slowing down either. It's whether COVID's got something to do with it, you would assume it does, but there has always been that trajectory going up. And if you see the likes of Michelle Obama, Hillary, Hillary Clinton, um, Meghan Markle and Harry with their own podcasts, when you see these celebs um, doing it, then you, you know, it, the, the um, inspiration to do one's own goes there. So look, we're going to see more of it. Yeah. Mm. And I'll drill down on the celebs in a moment as well when we're talking about the best way to get an audience. But if I can give you three specific levels, and that'll be for different people listening to this podcast as well. So can you give me an idea on why each one of these three levels should start a podcast? So the first one is a coach, a speaker, an influencer, or a thought leader. So someone who's got some ideas and they want to spread those with the world. Say it's a solo operator or they've got a small business. The second group would be a small business. Why should a small business start a podcast? And the third one, and you do a fair bit of this work, why should a large organization or a government agency start a podcast? So let's start with the first one as well. Someone who's got something to say, a coach, a thought leader. You are your own brand, as a, your, your own personal brand, right? So you could be a thought leader within a corporate or whatever. I would absolutely... Um, encourage you to do a podcast. Um, this is where it's, it, it differs from other media, right? The average length of time that a consumer watches a video online is about two minutes. The average time someone spends listening to one podcast is over 20 minutes. 
So something like, I think it's 82% of people who listen to a podcast listen to the whole thing. And you think about it, if you go and walk the dog, you, you decide what you're going to listen to and you press play and you put your mobile phone back in your pocket and don't look at it again until you get back. But that's so me. You- I actually, when I'm exercising, depending on what exercise it is, if it's a, a longer bike ride on a, on a very quiet road, I'll load up sometimes a 90-minute podcast or I might go one of the longer ones. If it's a you know, walk with a dog and the kids, if they're sort of running around the park and I might just put the pods in and you know, get a sneaky little five or ten. So it's so interesting you say that. That's the thing. And so for a thought leader, I mean, you've obviously got things to say. Nothing could be more engaging than having someone, someone's voice in your ear. And again, studies show 60% or more of people who listen to a podcast do it on their own with headphones or earphones in. You couldn't get any more intimate than that with somebody being inside your head. We, we, we found that. So for my business and speaking and coaching, while they're doing this podcast with NAB, it has led to, I had a, a sales meeting with a large organization this morning and the head of learning and development listened to the podcast and then reached out after that. So we found it's led to lots of connections. So I'll back that up for anyone who's running as a coach, a speaker, a trainer, an influencer. Uh, definitely, definitely, it can help your business. Um, we're going to talk about the difference between just throwing it together and doing a professional one as well. Mm. I think there's there's a big difference between the two. Second subgroup, a small business. Why would a small business owner do a podcast and, and maybe an example or two where you've seen that be successful? Well, again, it comes down to uh, where your demographic is with, with, a, with a small business. So, okay, I'll give, it, give an example. I've got one good example. Can I maybe say if 80% of – here's another statistic. Sorry, Andrew, but 80% – Love the stats. Keep them coming. 80% of people who seek out a podcast do so to learn something. It's for self-knowledge, self-education. So if you've got something that you can educate a market with, do it with a podcast. Um, if you're in professional services – so if you might be a small uh, – you might have a small accounting practice – or a, uh, a law firm or a recruiting firm and, you know, say your your clients are, say, uh, small businesses themselves. What do small businesses need to know when it comes to accounting Well, and, and other things? Well, it could be, you know, um, what, how's, how's the federal budget going to – how's that going to affect um, your audience? And you could interview – whoever, about the tax ramifications with what's come out in the federal budget. So a small business owner, if there's something that they want to share with their audience that the audience doesn't can't get anywhere else or they can get somewhere else but they prefer to do it on, on audio, that could be an example. I've got, a, I've got a, an example with there's a Dr. Lucy Burns and a Dr. Mary Barson. They're GPs and they have a – I suppose, a side business called Real Life Medicine. And their podcast is Real Health and Weight Loss. And they both suffered from weight loss issues or weight issues for many years. And they discovered, you know, if you eat real food, not processed food, not sugars, and if you follow that kind of diet, um, not only will you be healthy, but you'll find that it'll help with your weight. I mean... Um, and they so they've, they've they launched that a, a few months ago, and they're absolutely going gangbusters with their twelve week program because of that. Mm, that's a great example. Yeah, 
And a big organization. Um, you do some work, you've done office work, you've done REA group, you've done government departments. Why would a large organization do a podcast? What what, do, what is the benefit for them? And, and even if you've got, whether it's in Australia or overseas, are there some creative ones or some really good benchmark ones as an example? Yeah. So corporates have that reputation and it's probably a bit harder for them to feel more personable than a smaller business, you know, the big bad corporate kind of thing. What a wonderful way to get their voice heard in an intimate medium like a, like a podcast. Um, I'll use Officeworks as an example. They've always supported small businesses as, as well, and they did a six-part series on the struggles of a small business owner so that we, we interviewed six different business owners and how they went down the path where they were struggling big time and they managed to turn it around and then go gangbusters. And uh, it was called Paper Cuts because you know the paper cut that you get when you are running a business and also office works, you know, stacked full of stationery and paper. Um, so when you listen to that, you feel all good about it. And uh, of course, you go to um, go to Officeworks to get your stationery. But one example I want to give is um, Goldman Sachs. They've had a podcast for many years called Exchanges. And Goldman Sachs is, you know, the quintessential big bad corporate bank in the, in New York. And uh, they did interviews, interviews series with um, different country managers. Sorry, their, their own internal managers in Europe and Asia. And it was very much targeted to country managers of the Fortune 500 companies in these parts of the world. And they just talked about what's the economy like this year? What does, um, you know, Britain's exiting European Union, what does that mean for manufacturing businesses in Germany? So for you and me, probably I wouldn't listen to it, hmm. but for those that are running the Asia operation of, say, a manufacturing company, they they would they love this sort of stuff. And mm. it brings again, it brings a voice to the big corporates um, that people learn to to fall in love with. Yeah, you know? very niched. And we're seeing more and more niches around this as well. And so before we get on to the next part of the podcasting process, which is looking at the who or the market, I'll ask you a bit of a different question. Why would someone not do a podcast? That's a good question. I haven't thought of that before. Probably because they think it's too hard. They don't know what to do, mainly. There's a lot of information about everything. But there's not a lot of information all in the one spot. And who do you trust that knows what they're doing? It's such a niche or small industry podcasting production. It's only been around you know, five minutes. Um, perhaps that's the reason. They just don't know how. So in summarizing the why, the first bit, you do a podcast to get your message out there, whether you're an individual with a message, whether you're a small business or a large organization like Goldman Sachs to give some really engaging content that people can listen to. And look, I've heard some of the podcasts that big banks and consulting firms have done, and I think they need you and some of your production qualities as well, which we'll get onto in the third part. So I think it's one one reason why to get your message out. Great. So for anyone listening to this who's got a great message, and you all do, it's, it, as Chris said, it's the confidence to sometimes get over ourselves and find out. And hopefully this podcast, Chris, will inspire some small business owners and some people, even big business owners, to do their own podcasts. I think the next bit will be a fair bit tighter and shorter, but it's an obvious question. Who? How do you work out your target audience? And how niche should people go? 
your audience, your target audience is your target market for your, for your business. You need to really understand who your market is anyway and target them. Do a marketing persona, understand how old they are, uh, where they live, what do they do, but most importantly, what media do they consume anyway? And you might not necessarily need to do something exactly related to your product. Maybe do something that they're interested in and somehow tie your um, your own product or service into that. An example perhaps is Officeworks, as I mentioned before. They um, they don't sell financial advice; they sell stationery. But they're not they're not having a podcast about pens and paper. They're producing a podcast about what it is that lights their audience's uh, fire, and that is um, inspiration about running a small business. And then, because that's their your target market, hopefully they they will feel good about you providing something for free and something that's enjoyable and inspirational, and it just increases your brand value in the market. So when you when you've got clarity on your target audience, uh, everything else must fall into place. But if you're not a celebrity, what else do you need? Is that luck? Is it just making sure you've got that crystal focus on the target audience? What what really then leads to the the big bounce or the big growth? Because you see some podcasts just take off, you know, hockey stick. Mm. And is there a is there a key to that, or is it just luck sometimes? Right product, right time. It's 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 hard to do, but look, I think there's there's a famous um, astrophysicist in the United States called Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he's probably the best communicator for a scientist. He's what he talks about can be very uh, complicated, uh, difficult to understand, but he brings it across in very bite-sizable chunks and in a way that anyone can understand. And he says that, yeah, you can bring someone in, a celebrity can attract someone, but it's the content which will make people stay. So how you bring someone in to start with, perhaps you have a, some kind of celebrity or well-known person or somebody with a story. It's, it's how to bring those people in, but it's always the content that will make people stay. So the next one, the how. How on earth do you do a podcast? And before we drill into that, question I've got is should people do it solo or should they partner with someone? And partnership, I can think of a few. You could partner with a podcast production agency like Sound Cartel. Uh, if you had a profile or a really good idea, you might go podcast one. Uh, and I imagine you need success to go to Amazon and Spotify. So I'll come back because I've, I've layered that question. So back up to the top. Should people go solo or should they partner? When you say solo, you mean just do everything A to Z on their own. Is that do right? Do it yourself. So you come up with the idea, you find the talent, you record the talent, you do the audio production, you put it onto a platform, and then you market and amplify. It's a lot of work. It is. I'd, I'd say no. <laughs> I mean, it's going to sound. I've got obviously, you know, uh, vested interest in that answer. But if you think about your brand and how you want it to be portrayed. Um, if you're looking to be you know, the best in your market or in the top whatever of your market, you can't rely on doing something um, if you don't have the skills or the talent to do it. It's like um, sending out a newsletter, the hard copy newsletter with, um, with a staple on you know, recycled, no, not recycled, on um, reused paper rather than a glossy magazine. That's, that's the difference. 
Can I just give a bit of an example? I uh, had a meeting at an international law firm a couple of years ago now and um, went up to the 40th floor in the CBD of an Australian city. I don't want to narrow it down too much. And it was, a, as you can imagine, an international law firm, law firm, the 40th floor, beautiful views of the city. Um, they had newspapers lined up. I'm sure they were ironed that morning. Everything about the place was just prim and proper, A-class, gold-plated service. We had a meeting and they had a butler who asked for what coffees would you like, cafe latte, brought them in on a silver tray. And I'm thinking, you guys have, have not missed a beat until they said, actually, we have a podcast. Would you like a listen? I said, yes, please. And it was the equivalent of the community newsletter. It was terrible. It was the, and it really comes down to the audio mostly. Um, they just recorded it somewhere in a bathroom or something. You couldn't hear it. Um, it just lacked professionalism that you would think they would understand given what they're doing on the 40th floor of that building. How did you cachet that feedback? Were you asked for your feedback? <laughs> I don't quite remember, but um, I, I – I'm pretty blunt. I probably would have said what I just said. Actually, so look, I walked into your foyer. The tiles are glossy. The people behind the front desk are wearing wonderful clothing, all top labels. They're wearing Churchill shoes. I see the terracotta tiles. Did you go through? The newspapers are so crisp. They've been freshly ironed. But your podcast is really shit. Yes. And the thing with corporates sometimes, and you know, I don't want to dissuade anyone from working with this, is there are... Um, silos within organisations. So someone who may understand what needs to be done in terms of brand and marketing may not be the decision maker in a different silo. So you get you know you get that internal office politics that things aren't ain't what they should be. Yeah, mm. I've got a number of questions. I might do this rapid fire on yep. this one as far as under the subsection of how. Uh, number of podcast episodes that people should do to start with? And I know it's hard to give a definitive answer on some of this, but whatever thought comes to your mind. So number of podcast episodes, someone starting a podcast should aim for in their first batch? Uh, there, there's no simple answer that's right. And there was this idea that you launch with three or four episodes. And the reason is that when it's released, Apple algorithms sees a spike in listens. So if somebody downloads the podcast on day one, they're downloading four episodes at once. And if everybody does that, then there's four episodes, the four times what you would normally get. Apple will then elevate that podcast in its charts. That's the reason behind it. Got These it. days, I don't necessarily recommend that because from the get-go, you've launched with four. You've got to scramble just to get your podcast up in the charts for that one or two-week period. And who looks at the charts? No one really. It's mm. good for ego. Maybe you take a, a screenshot, put it on Instagram and show your mum, then everyone's happy oh, for a week. Yeah, get some likes, but it doesn't really <laughs> help your long-term strategy. Exactly. So, well, next question on the back end of that, what should the cadence or the frequency of podcasting be? Meaning should you, like every week is a lot of work, should mm. people start at a month, uh, should you do a batch of 10 every fortnight? Again, probably no definitive answer, but in your experience, what have you seen works well? If, you, if your goal is a long-term strategy, and it should be, the longer you do it, the more people listen, etc. You want it as 
regular and as consistent as possible. Best probably is weekly, but do you have the resources to do that? Probably not. Fortnightly is a sweet spot. There seems to be enough time, and that's what we recommend for people to do it. What you don't want to do and what many people do, many businesses do, they all are gung-ho in the beginning. They do, they, that's right, they do eight. I think, the, I think the average before pod fade sets in is 10 before they just give up. Now, I've heard that pod fade. What that is, people go out of the gun. I, I imagine when you said that I started running. Yeah, uh, it's like a four hundred <laughs> meters, and you want to impress the other kids, and you know, parents are there and teachers, and you get to the two fifty three hundred meter mark, and you go, oh my god, I've got a hundred to one hundred fifty meters to go. Is that pod fade? You go out really quick, no it strategy. Is. They haven't listened to this podcast, or they haven't had mentoring from someone like you. And it and it always happens when they're doing it solo. If they're doing it on their own, they realise, gee whiz, this is. Uh, the research that we've got to do, um, getting people committed and they're then being on time um, and not cancelling their interviews and then doing the interview and then putting it all together, uh, it takes a lot of time. So, yes, indeed. Woohoo! You are actually podcast number 25 on that Business Fit. So we've got <laughs> – we've, we've doubled oh, two and a half times over podcast fate. Next question. Uh, should you have a co-host? Or is it much easier to just do it one person? It's easy to do it one person. And the reason is, okay, this, this is a slightly personal opinion. Um, with, a, with a host, you're in, in the driver's seat. I want to go down a particular road with you when I interview you. Co-host doesn't get it and they want to go down a different road. Um, it upsets the apple cart. It just it doesn't gel unless, you, unless there's a strategy behind it. Some people, if you bounce off each other, maybe that's fine. It does make it harder for the editor to splice it all together. Um, but in a net, really, no, I, that's what, yeah, no. I've done a bit of co-hosting when we started this and it took a while to really get the rhythm and there's some positives that came out of it, but definitely it takes a lot more work. There's more pre-production work, more work in the running sheet. So I think if you're doing a cadence of every week, every fortnight, and you want to do your research record and then get it into the system back end, it probably makes it a lot more efficient to have one as well. Some podcasts I listen to with two people, I do like the interaction, but uh, I think if we're bringing back to really what we're wanting today is to give people a roadmap on how to start a podcast. Sounds like going solo would be much easier to start. How long do you wait to build momentum and not allow podcast fade to hit in? So you know, how long does it take to build a good podcast? If you're not Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, or <laughs> Harry and Princess Meghan. Do you mean from concept until the release of the first episode? Is that no, what you like mean? so when you release your first episode, uh, you know, does it take a year to build a really good audience? Does it take a couple of years? Well, it, it depends on you. It goes back to the why and what your goals are. And the goals have got to be, um, got to be clear in the beginning. Without clarity, you don't get to where you want to go. Um, I always use the the Richmond Football Club, Andrew, and I'm a Richmond supporter. <laughs> and uh, in 2015, there was um, it was leaked to the media, the, the board's goals for the next five years, which included three things. One, to have a membership of 75,000 plus, because they had fewer than 75,000 members. Two, to be in the black, because they were always losing money. And the third one, which was the controversy, was to win three premierships by 2020. And the whole media and everybody in AFL land laughed at them. But I remember what Brandon happened? Gale saying that. There you go. That's right. 
and they got the third premiership last year. Now, would they have won three premierships? Would they have gotten 75,000 members or more? Would they be in the black without those clear goals? Maybe, maybe not. And I think when you're starting a podcast, how long do we want to do this for and commit to that? So let's do this not for six months and see how it goes. Do it for a year, do it for two years, whatever it is, and commit to that. Um, in the and this is why Podfade occurs. They don't see the skyrocketing numbers in the beginning. But again, it's a long-term thing. You'll see it down the track, a year or two, uh, while your competitors all pull the plug because they can't be bothered anymore. You'll be, and you can see the numbers of listeners increasing all the time. There's more of an audience out there looking for something exactly that you're um, producing. So what, what is a good number of listens per episode? So when you are curating an episode as part of Sound Cartel, when do you say, hey, that podcast is now up at a good level? Is there a number per episode? It's a bit of a how long's a piece of string. It really depends on what you want to achieve and what your audience is and what your niche is. But I'll give you some statistics on what on numbers of podcasts and the percentage or the level is it, it is according to um, according to uh, the research. Um, so according to Omni Studio, they have thirty five thousand podcasts on their podcast hosting platform. And those that have 100 downloads a month or more are in the top 50%. And this is reflective of a lot of other research. 240 episodes or more, they're in the top 20%. Top 10% of podcasts have 1,800 episodes downloaded in a month. Uh, the top 5%, 4,300. The top 2%, 13,000. The top 1%, 28,000. So is that uh, singular episodes or multiple episodes? Multi multiple episodes. Okay. So I don't think the, 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 the numbers are that high. You can get 100 downloads. If you have two episodes a month and each is making, are getting 50 downloads, you've got, you're in the top 50%. I thought the numbers would have been higher than that. You would think so. That's right. That's right. Um, but I've heard these stats forever and they've all, always hovered around that. Yeah. So on the back of that, how do you monetize podcasts? And the one way of monetizing is more companies now are doing in-house podcasts and that's what, what your business does and there's other businesses that do that. Uh, but how do other people monetize podcasts? Again, if you're not doing a corporate one, mm. what are the different ways of making money from podcasting? I'll, I'll say that if you're, if you're a business looking to do podcasting, Making money from it should not be your goal necessarily, but you could. I know a psychologist who has a podcast who is very, very well-received podcast. She was approached by a sponsor. Um, she talks about health and well-being in the workplace. So I don't know who the – I can't remember who the sponsor was. But if you seriously want to make it a full-time job where you're only working on a podcast, I'll give the example of – a company called Mysterious Universe, a podcast called Mysterious Universe. The two uh, lads in Sydney produce this uh, weekly podcast um, and they have done for the last decade or so on mysterious stuff, so phenomena, ghosts, aliens, that kind of thing. Most of their audience, 60% or so, are in the United States. And so there's a huge market for people who want to find out about this sort of stuff. They're very good podcasters, very good um, 
audio quality, absolutely fantastic. They have two podcasts a week. One is free and the other the other is paid. Now, for the free one, they get something like a million downloads a month. And there's, there's an element, there's a few thousand people who want to listen to the Mysterious Universe X, or sorry, Plus edition. Now, they charge $10 a month. So $10 times, um, what is it, five or 6,000 uh, listeners, we're talking many hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's one way to do it. And I hear people like Tim Ferriss, who I think in the human performance space, and you know, he talks him about himself being a human guinea pig. And this is on his website that to sponsor one of Tim's podcast episodes, it's seventy-five to one hundred thousand dollars US, and people have to sign up for three. So let's say he's making up to three hundred thousand dollars for US for three episodes. Um, not bad, right? And he has a few sponsors. So that's that's obviously the, the Joe Rogan, the high end. That's, that's all about right. downloads. And then you charge an advertiser. Can you talk about how that works? You charge an advertiser a set amount per download? Yeah. So there's, a, there's quite a number of networks that have many hundreds or thousands of podcasts on their networks, and they go to advertisers on behalf of all these podcasts that decide to sign up for this network, right? But the the advertising rate is only about $50 CPM, which is per 1,000 listens. So $50 per 1,000 listens. Now, can you make money from that? Well, you would need, I mean, to do the maths, 10,000 listens, you get $500 an episode. On the stats you gave before, there's not a lot of people doing over... Uh, One thousand listens. So you got to have a. You got to be in that stratosphere, like a Tim Ferriss, like a, a Joe Rogan, to like a Lewis Howes, like the the big US podcasters who've got a massive audience. So they're making that, some good money. But otherwise, exactly. it's it's coming pretty clear. You do a podcast to scratch an itch or to get your message out to the market. Well, that's true. But if you if you think of yeah, you have to be in the top two percent or whatever it is. You need tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, or more podcast. Uh, sorry, listens per podcast. Or you go to a sponsor yourself. I mean, if you think of a trade magazine in, in a news agent, they might have a circulation of five or six thousand, and they've got dozens of advertisers in there, and it's enough to pay for the journalists, the editors, the duplication and distribution of that magazine. I think it's tiny what. The advertisers offer through this network system. But if you go to a sponsor yourself that is targeted exactly at their market and just say, would you like, you know, these are our rates, would you like to advertise? You might have a better chance of making mm. good money. It's a great idea. Hi, we hope you've been enjoying this podcast so far. Don't forget that we have plenty more podcasts and content just like this on NAB Business Fit. Go to www.nab.com.au forward slash business fit for more content to support your physical and psychological well-being and to help you take care of business. How do you get good talent on your podcast? Oh, good question. Uh, you Not everyone can... Because it's hard. Like I imagine yeah, it's hard. Hard. we're finding it easier now because we've had some some good people on the podcast and yep. it's it's a catch-22, I see. Once you get good people on your podcast, you get good people on your podcast. Yep. But I'm thinking again for someone starting in, in any of those three levels we spoke about, mm-hmm. how do you go about getting good talent, especially if you don't know people? 
That's it's, it's bloody hard. <laughs> it, is, it's, it, is, it is hard. It is hard. Um, what makes it easier, Andrew, is if your podcast is shorter because you can edit out the not-so-good bits and just keep it succinct. Yours is quite long, and so you really are reliant, and I hope I've done a good job, of having a good speaker uh, to keep that engagement. The shorter your podcast, the easier it is to keep it more succinct and to take out the the various bits and pieces. If this comes back to you post-production at seven minutes, you'll never ring me again. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> we, we aim for about an hour and we were very clear when we put this together. We want it to be conversational and we're talking to a whole bunch of people, subject matter experts like you and you're, you're a domain expert. Uh, we're talking to leaders, we're talking to small business owners, we're talking to athletes. So it's a it's a mixture of people, but it is yeah. a sole focus on helping small business owners. So we consciously made the decision to go longer. Some people, in fact, um, some of the mentoring we had at the start was go short. And I actually went against that and I'm glad because we've yeah. been able to use repurpose content on this, especially recording video and other products. So that'll lead to my next question. Mm-hmm. Should you or should you not record video with the audio and as I ask that I'm looking at Thomas just rolling his eyes because when I first started this podcast I said to my team I don't actually know why but we should get video am I glad we got video from the start absolutely Lisa Messenger who was on this podcast Mm. uh, about five six episodes ago Lisa said she wished she'd taken video and podcast so Lisa has done podcasts in her previous business she wished she did audio with people like Richard Branson John Cleese the list goes on and on so um, rock stars she works with but it adds so much work so I know my team openly said in the first little bit why on earth are we doing video it's so much easier to do audio what would you advise people well you've kind of answered your question but I would I would balk at using video too only because from what I've seen, and I see this on LinkedIn, particularly with thought leaders, they want to use video because it, you're repurposing, but they're not doing the video well enough. A lot of the video, it's you can't. Well, the audio you can't hear because they don't understand the. You need quality audio, and it, they're doing it as to show off on LinkedIn without necessarily any thought that the the viewer is going to watch it. It's there like a billboard. Oh, look at me. I'm with blah. And that's fine. It's good to have showy-offy kind of images. But going back to what I said before, most people don't, unless it's Netflix or the footy or the news, most people don't sit down with a glass of wine and um, nibblies to watch a vodcast. They're, They're doing it to watch entertainment or something else. So the... Don't ever be um, fooled by on YouTube where you see, you know, there's 600 listens. I'm skeptical. As soon as you press play on a YouTube, it says there's a listen there. It might be consumed for five seconds and then the person goes away. But don't be fooled that people are actually watching from start to finish, whereas a podcast, they probably are. Um, So do it, but do it well, do it properly. I would advise this instead. Do the 60 minutes as a podcast and at the very end, after you've pressed stop with the podcast, do a two-minute video separately for your socials. Thomas is just looking at me going, (laughs) 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 I think you've made Thomas's day. (laughs) What what makes a great interview? Sorry, not what what makes a great interview. What makes a great question? Because 
in a lot of podcasts you can hear, especially when someone's selling a book, and this would be for someone who's more well-known, and perhaps it's talent who's done a bit of media as well, there can be a risk at pressing play and going into autopilot. So how do you as a group, how do you as an individual jolt that? And how, do you, how do you get people to open up and take them down a different path? If, if that's warranted, it comes down to the research. It really does. And um, Can you explain what do you mean by if it's warranted? Well, not all podcasts, again, are 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes. There's some podcasts that are like utility-based podcasts. If you think about a Bunnings video, right? So a couple of years ago, I retiled the kitchen. <laughs> I wouldn't do it again. And I had never done it before. So what did I do? As you would do, you go onto YouTube and you look for a video. And Bunnings has all these um, utility-based videos, how to tile, how to put on a door, how to do the plastering, all that kind of thing. So your podcast could be just utility-based. What are the seven steps to set up um, your LinkedIn profile? Boom, 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 boom. You don't really want to go off down little rabbit holes. You just want to listen to that. So if your podcast warrants are deep and meaningful um, and you want to get the best out of your uh, interviewee, you really need to do the research and get something that they probably haven't expected, but you know that they can answer. And I'll give an example with, say, Andrew Denton. Andrew. Sorry, Andrew Denton. <laughs> You're Andrew. So I was, um, Andrew Denton's Enough Rope. Okay. I, lo I love watching Denton because you always see people in the chair go, how did you know that? Where, where did you find that out? Exactly right. And it comes from the research. There was an example where he interviewed uh, Michael Stipe of REM a number of years ago. And uh, Michael Stipe is quite uh, well known for not being such a great person to interview. He's very reserved and shy. Prickly as well. Yeah. When, he seeks, when he seems to get asked a personal question, he can become quite uh, yeah. Well, was that well, that's right. And, and, and with that in mind, Andrew did, I mean, each edition of Enough Rope and any of these kind, kind of talk show programs, there's so much research put into it. He would say there's never, ever enough time to do research. And he'd spend the whole week, and his researchers as well, reading up about whoever it is they're going to interview. And he had read some obscure article somewhere that when Michael Stipe was uh, – had decided at that point to be a musician. He was he ate a whole bowl of cherries, and he was listening to uh, Patty Smith's horses. So, in the middle of the interview on enough rope, Andrew had brought in on wheels a coffee table with the album of um, Patty Smith's horses and a bowl of cherries, and. I mean, Michael said, no one has ever gone to the trouble that you have to bring yeah. out a memory. But his producer, Michael's producer at the end, said Michael's never been so relaxed ever in an interview. And if you relax someone enough, you're able to bring that out from them. It doesn't really answer your question, how do you get them? Well, that is one way you can get them to open up about something. Well, I think that you they doing the research. And an interesting Cara who helped us do some of our research, especially when we got going as well. We had some mentoring yep. from Uncanny Valley and Cara worked on Denton and she said he was meticulous and she was one of the researchers. Right. And for a 40, 45 minute episode, they would spend hours and hours and hours and hours. Is there a golden rule on that as well for every one hour of podcasting? Should there be X hours of research 
in in preparation? I find the interview. I mean, if you're working on from A to Z, the interview itself is the quickest and easiest part of the whole process, even a long interview. The research that you put in works wonders for the interview. Now, we're talking about que- – I don't know if we mentioned questions. I always send the interviewee the questions. And the reason is that they're prepared in their own mind – what they can say, what they're going to say. They appreciate that. Now, you don't have to stick to the questions, of course. If they might, they might say something and you want to go down that angle. One thing I'll, just as I think of it, always ask the obvious question because your listener will be picking up thinking, why didn't they ask that? Wouldn't that have been an obvious question? An example is Mark Maron. I was listening to Mark Maron a couple of weeks ago and he interviewed Tim Allen, you know, Tim the Tool Man Taylor, that's it. And um, Tim Allen's an interesting character anyway, a human being, and uh, it turns out when he was young, when he was young, his father died. And Mark Maron asked a few questions about that, but he didn't ask the obvious to me, well, how old exactly? Was he three years old? Was he six years old? Was he 16? Because if you're three years old, you probably don't really remember your father. And that will affect you differently to if you were 10 years old, where it would absolutely affect the way you were. Mm. So we didn't find out these obvious questions. He went to jail for a period of time. We didn't know how long he was in jail. Was it three months? Was it three years? Again, these obvious questions need, need to come out, um, even if it is off the cuff. There's probably a blend, isn't there, between having a script and, as I said at the start, going off-piste a little bit because I think the great interviewers, so someone like Denton, they then pull the thread on that question. So maybe mm. Mark Maron was looking at his running sheet and went to the next question rather than suspending and going, actually, an obvious question, how old were you when that happened? Yes, exactly. And, and, and that's the thing with familiarity. If you are interviewing someone you know very well, intimately or professionally or whatever, you might not think to ask a question that you would if you didn't know them, if that makes sense. I, total. I've interviewed a number of athletes that I've worked with, coaches I've worked with, people that I've coached as well. And I try to use the beginner's mind because I found the first couple of podcasts I did where I interviewed people I know, Chris, there was a familiarity. And then I listened back to one and I thought, ah, oh, that wasn't great. I was very critical of the questions but I think you have to be as well and to listen back and that was the next series of questions so do you listen back to your podcast regularly yes yes I do simply to see where I can improve just as you know a sports person would look back on their games that they play I will listen occasionally to certain interviews and think you can always improve obviously you can improve on anything and uh there are certain ways you can ask questions. And to make it clearer, again, uh, the, the thing is, when it comes to an interview, as the host, there are four people you've got to think about. And the first category of person that, you, that, is, is, that comes first is the audience. So everything that you're doing with the guest is for the, for the benefit of the audience. The second person to think about is the guest. And... You even before the interview starts, you've got to help them feel relaxed. When they come to our recording studio, it's always a cup of tea, have a chat. How was your day? What did you do yesterday? Just get them to talk about anything but what's going to happen in a minute. 
Um, once they're relaxed and no longer, then you bring them into the studios and away you go with the interview. Um, the third person you think important person uh, is the editor. And so uh, lots of stopping and starting and taking things out makes it harder for the editor to splice everything together. The fourth person is yourself as the host. That's a really interesting frame. So if you flip that and think of yourself as the host, it can come across as me, 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 rather than yep. I love that, the audience, the guest, the editor, and then you last. Hey, can I, on the second one, when you're looking at making the guest relaxed, so cup of tea and sitting down before you go into the studio pre-COVID, totally get it. What do you do now when we're doing like we're doing? And uh, we live in different cities. So I think one of the things with COVID and the acceleration of connection and technology, we can do podcasts like this around the world. But what are some tips to get people comfortable before you start when you're doing it virtual? Uh, very similar. It's, it's, um, it's like if you go to a business meeting, um, you have a bit of chit chat before you, you know, go into the purpose of what the meeting's about. So it's, and everyone can do it, you know. Um, how's things going with COVID? Are you working at home these days or how long have you been there? Um, have you, has it disrupted the way, you know, all those kinds of things. How's the weather, blah, 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 all those. Perhaps not talk about sports because not everybody follows, you know, the same code that you might or at all. But there's always something about, even when, in your research, that you know about your guest that you can bring up and ask about. But it's you're doing two things. One, of course, you're relaxing the can uh, the candidate, the um, interviewee. Second, you're checking their equipment and making sure that the audio levels are right when they talk. Is their microphone too close or too far? Because a lot of guests aren't used to the equipment, um, and just to ensure that uh, yeah, they're not shuffling papers because you don't want them to do this shuffling their paper that comes out underneath the underneath the voice audio is so important isn't it there's some podcasts that have got great people asking great questions and if it's shitty audio especially if you're multitasking like you said you take the dog for a walk or someone might be mowing the lawn or doing something you'd need obviously good headphones on that yep. but a lot of good podcasts have really bad audio or it's getting better but i think in the the earlier days so what are some of your tips for audio because it is an audio product so it just makes sense but i i quote caroline pegram who says i will not listen to another crappy podcast with two blokes drinking beers in a shed with their own audio thinking it's good and thinking it's funny that's it and 99 and of podcasts i think are <laughs> like that that's why the numbers are so low with um, you know what, what makes a good podcast or not, but uh, if you can't get yourself to a studio, and I understand, particularly with COVID um, restrictions, that's not possible. You need to do it what we're doing here, Andrew. Um, and of course, if someone's in another state or a different city, different location, as the host, your voice should probably reflect the brand of the podcast and be better than the guest, uh, if that's possible. So tough invest- call today, mate. Like you just, oh, no. you just set my heart rate up again. So. Uh, no, your well, yours. Well, that's the thing. Yours is very good, and uh, your microphone is that a Rode, Andrew? Yeah. What sort of Rode was it? Uh, Rode Podcaster mic. Rode Podcaster mic. There we go. And I don't know how much that one is. I have a Rode as well. This is a Rode NT USB. USB meaning it just plugs into the computer. That's what I recommend a lot of clients is that they, because it's easy for them, it's $209 at JB Hi-Fi, a pair of headphones like what I've got, Audio Audio Technica, they're $89 or $79 at Hi-Fi, at JB Hi-Fi. So that's 
the equipment you need. If you're going to do a podcast, you want it to reflect your brand, that's at least your investment there. You need a room that's um, well-treated so the sound doesn't bounce off and you're sounding like you're in the middle of um, you know, a cavernous hall or bathroom or something. And, and we've summarized or we've, we've danced around this. So I want to frame the five different parts on execution stage and we've sort of woven in and out. But just to, to, to give everyone the, the, the visual of this, First of all is the pre-production. So that's getting the talent. And way before the pre-production is asking those questions, you know, why should I start a podcast? You know, what sort of audience am I going to have? And then you look at the pre-production, equipment, how to put it together, studio tips, uh, interview versus monologue, documentary or narrative style, how much are you going to edit? So you're going to make it like an NPR or like, hello, this is Guy Raz. And, you know, that's sort of <laughs> those type podcasts. <laughs> I, I listen to a Guy Raz podcast and I'm like, oh, that's Guy Raz. He's just got yeah. such a distinctive style and way of editing. So that's all before you start. And then you've got the cadence. Do we do it weekly? Do we do it fortnightly? Do we do it monthly? Oh, breath in. There's a lot of work there, Chris. Then we get to the next bit, which is the podcast recording. As you said, that's the easy bit. I think this one will be an hour, give or take. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you do the prep work, makes the podcast, the actual recording, as you said, so much easier, right? Well, that's right. And, and you want to do the podcast episode as if it is live. Pretend it's live, but always with the back of your mind that you can re-record bits and pieces that you might stumble on. Mm. Um, but if you, if you come with the mindset that it's live – then it, it will feel more natural. I had a question on that, but you've answered it beautifully throughout today. And I know the wizard loves this. We try not to stop. If we make an mm. obvious mistake or someone wants something cut out, we do. But we've done that and it's so much easier for the next part, which is your post-recording as well or the post-production as well. So you've got the audio file. What happens then? You listen through it. So the producer, now at Sound Cartel, we're fortunate to have a number of producers and we would have a producer on the other side of the glass when the interview is being done. If you think of radio, um, say ABC Breakfast or Neil Mitchell here in Melbourne at 3AW, there's a number of producers behind the glass that will, I know this is live, but there's a point to it, um, uh, who would maybe jot down, right? type something on the computer and Neil will see it and he will ask the question so that he doesn't have to worry about the, you know, other things. He's busy doing the interview. So in a podcast sitting, if you have a producer, they might be jotting things down and then going away to splice it all together. Our interviews for Business Essentials Daily, Andrew, they're 10 minutes. They're all 10 minutes. They're just It's a daily program. We, we don't have the resources for it to be longer, but 10 minutes is a good – it's long enough – to get the message across, it's short enough to people keep people engaged at, about a particular thing on how to run a business. So I would go away after, say, the interview is 15 minutes long, I would find five minutes or whatever to cut out. And there's always something, some Q&A didn't work, cut that out. So you're listening in real time. I jot it down um, and give it to the sound engineer. He would then cut those bits and pieces out, splice it together with a voiceover artist. So our host is uh, Nicole Goodman. She'll read it and then give it back to the sound engineer. He would splice everything together with music, with the sponsor's um, spiel and send it out. So that might take, for a 10-minute interview, the post-production might be an hour and a half, two hours. Do you do that yourself or do you find it easier to get a producer to do that? Like can you separate between you asking the question and going, oh, that was such a great question I just asked. You can't cut that out. Or do you just say there's 15 minutes, hand it over and get out of the way and allow your team to do the post-production? 
Um, you can't be precious about things, Andrew. <laughs> but having said that, a lot of the interviews I do, I produce as well, and each one of us does. But you have to also, um, depending on what work we've got done, you, we're, we're comfortable enough to pass on to the other producers and we are on the same wavelength. And after a while, you know that the other producer will keep in exact, pretty much what you would have kept in anyway. So we've got our pre-production, part one. We've got our pod reca- podcast recording, part two. Part three is the post-production, then part four. This is the bit that we found when we were going into this uncharted territory, Chris, called podcasting. It took us a while to work out, but it's the platform. And it's actually a lot easier when you work it out. We, we actually use Wooshka. Mm. Uh, I know Rob Lowenthal. I know Rob mm. from a past life as well. So then we put it onto Wooshka. Can, can you give us an example of other platforms and how part four works? Yeah, no, Wooshka's good. Wooshka's really good. Um, there's Omni Studio also in Australia. There's Those are the two main ones that we use. Um, there's Libsyn in the United States, Podbean. There's dozens and dozens and dozens, and they, they all work very well. You need a podcast hosting platform um, in order for it to be distributed on all the podcast apps. So you could do it separately, but you just don't want to bother trying to do that. What it does is that every time a podcast episode is released, it goes automatically onto Apple Podcasts, which has about 62% of those, you know, the market of those who listen. This It goes to Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all the other different apps. It also provides you with very good analytics. So you know how many people are listening, what device they're listening on, which podcast app they're listening on, and what geographical region they're listening from, even from the suburb, say, of Melbourne or Sydney. Does it tell you what breakfast cereal they eat? Uh, <laughs> Not yet. We haven't got Not that yet. far with our data analytics. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fifth one, and this is one that was a step I didn't even think about when we started, but to amplify or to market. And am I correct in thinking a lot of people do the first four steps and go, oh, it's up on the platform, it's now being distributed now I'm just going to wait to get millions of downloads and sell to Spotify for $100 million. So do a lot of people forget that fifth part? They Well, they do. They they Exactly that. They just think, well, it's out there now. People should be listening. But you've really got to be pushing this as any sort of marketing strategy. And it comes back again when you do the audio strategy in the beginning. How do we get this amplified out into the market? A few things. You have already any business has its followers, it's got its audience, its its clients or whatever. And in fact, use them as, as a springboard to get it out there. Uh, vast majority of people who listen to a podcast do so from recommendation, whether that's word of mouth, the, the actual word of mouth, or whether it's from somewhere they've read on social media. Very A very few percent would, would get it from browsing an app. They get it from word of mouth. So you Get it out there. Ask the other thing is ask your guests to share widely with their audience. So if you've got a guest who has a wide uh, number of followers on their Instagram or whatever it is, they're great and they will definitely share because it's they're sharing their knowledge as well. So there's two things, but you might also consider advertising on Facebook and pushing it out with with a bit of extra cash. It's a shame if you're doing such a good podcast that you're not pushing it out there, but it all comes back as well. It's got to be a quality podcast. It's like a first date, Andrew, or a blind date. 
if you go We've on come back f- to dating again there's I know, a theme I can't help through it. this from the start to the the book ending at the finish <laughs> it was valentine's day a month ago wasn't it um a blind date or a first date you're unlikely no matter how well or how poorly it's going you're unlikely to get up and leave it's just rude it's like a podcast you'll listen to the end of it but if it's no good you're not going to come back again so you've got to make sure every episode that you do is good enough for people to come back again. So, so Chris, we've done the why, the who and the how. I, I'm only thinking how much time you would have saved us months ago when we started this podcast. Why did I not do that interview with Sound Cartel back in the middle of COVID? And then I could have gone, oh, hey, mate, we want to start a podcast. Can you help us? So we, we did have some mentoring. And for anyone starting a podcast, I'd absolutely listen to this over and over again. Go to Chris's business, listen to as much as they've got on podcasting and resources, or at least get some mentoring. Because I think if you do this by yourself, you can burn hours and hours and hours. So I've kept a few loops open. I want to go back to them. I said we'd go through the process and then come back and re-discuss the Joe Rogan experience, uh, one of your favourite podcasts, Gimlet, talking about the chipmunks. Was it the chipmunks? <laughs> Chippendales. Chippendales, yeah. <laughs> I knew it was close. <laughs> and, and, and the third question I've got for you, I want to ask, what can we do? So what can I do? Or what can we as Strive Stronger as a business do to increase the the value of our podcast or how can we improve? So can we go to Joe Rogan first? Does Joe Rogan hit everything that you've spoken about today? Has he sold to Spotify for $100 million exclusive rights because he just nails all this? He started his a few years ago. He's lucky, I think, at a time where um, there was probably not as much competition. Um, I, I I can't work it out why it's popular. It goes for two, two and a half, three hours, some episodes every day um, to keep that up. I mean, that's all he does. But I'm sure in the back of his mind, actually, when he started it, he, he it's, it's widely known that he started it just because he was interested. It was to do with nothing else other than he wanted to have a good chat with people. And so that um, honesty, I suppose, about why he started it resonates with the audience that there's, there's um, no ulterior motive, I suppose. And he genuinely has a conversation. That's right. He loves it. He, and it comes out. And obviously, that's, that's what um, is attractive for people to listen to. So he built that audience to, to two and a half million an episode or something ridiculous that, of course, there's an asset there. I mean, he must have been thinking a while, you know, who's going to, who, who will pay for this? And he found the buyer. So you need yep. the why, the who, the how, and add the passion. So interesting, right? And I think first mover advantage, he's got that. But he's obviously doing something very, very well. Yep. I'm similar. I listen to some episodes and I love. The one where he had Elon Musk smoking a joint uh, yep. and the share price of Tesla went down. That was so controversial, but uh, you know, very interesting. He's out mm. there. He's definitely not corporate. Yep. But he's obviously done something, right, to get $100 million. So Gimlet, do they do all this when you run this process through their podcast? Is it just a natural process that they follow to create great content? Well, well, Gimlet started a very famous podcast called Startup. The very first podcast, and I can't remember the owner's name and I should, it's it's sacrilege, but uh, he, the very first podcast that Gimlet made was about building a podcast company. He was making a podcast about making a podcast, would you believe? And it was so, he was a former radio journalist, uh, former, former producer, and it, it was so well done that it 
created its own momentum and people were hanging out for the next episode. And from that, he um, received investment from these angel investors. We're talking millions of dollars. And that allowed him to make other shows um, at the highest quality narrative style podcasts that you can imagine. And he did, he and the producers did so well that they ended up selling that uh, for multi million dollar price. I wonder if it was Spotify. I can't remember. Wow. And, and Amazon have just purchased a platform as well, haven't they? So you see Spotify, Amazon. It's, it's, it seems like audio now is moving like TV did. I remember the Emmy Awards, I think three years ago, it was the first time a non-production TV production studio was starting to win awards. And now you see Netflix and Facebook and you know, all these companies now getting in on TV shows. So do you see that going down the same path with podcast more and more? It's happening, but is that going to accelerate? Well, it's funny. There seems to be a, um, a lot of shows, movies, TV shows, Netflix shows are reproducing what has been on uh, a podcast. So they're repurposing that and making a television series out of it. So there's a gelling of what's happening. But with podcasting, um, I mean, we, we ain't seen nothing yet, I think, when the, the, um, all these big companies are looking at audio and what slice of the pie can they take from it? I mean, look at smart speakers. They weren't around three or four years ago. And now in the United States, it's between a third and, a f- and half of all homes have a smart speaker. So there's a space there for audio listening that didn't happen before. There's, I'll just go quickly. There's a, there's a podcast called Chompers produced by Oral-B or a branded podcast for Oral-B. Gimlet produces it <laughs> and it's aimed at little kids between the ages of three to seven years old. And it's it's so niche, it's aimed to be listened to on a smart speaker in the bathroom. So the young boy or girl simply says, hey, Alexa, play Chompers. And up comes this uh, animated crocodile voice, Chompers, saying, okay, boys and girls, we're going to start brushing our teeth now. And he would encourage them to brush the top teeth while telling them a story. And they produce two episodes every single day. And it's just gone through the roof. Are so you, you chompers? Think- <laughs> is this Gimlet in production with Sound Cartel via <laughs> <laughs> your studio backing? Look, a great idea, isn't it? To, it like is. Oral-B, well done, super creative, to create a product for a smart speaker while kids are brushing their teeth a couple of times a day. That's right. That's Brilliant. right. So people are listening in different places and the fact that with the car audio players now, the, the entertainment system in the car, that's another area that is another place to listen to podcasts. And there's, oh, just quickly, there's a, um, there was a podcast in Australia. It won the Branded Podcast Award last year called That's Incredible. It's, um, it's for the Mamma Mia Network and it's a branded podcast for Subaru and it's aimed at kids my daughter's age in the car to listen to on the way to somewhere. And it's called That's Incredible. They talk about incredible statistics and facts. Uh, It's presented by Andrew Daddo. A lot of work put into it. Uh, I'm sure very expensive podcast. But again, it's it's something different and it's aimed at kids in the backseat of the car. So on, the, on that, on the podcast awards, I did want to ask you a question about that. You're one of the judges. Mm. How does that work? Do you all wear 
is it like Margaret Pomerantz in the movies? <laughs> and you're wearing the jacket and you all sit around and have a box of chisels and a you know a glass of Pinot and, and chat. How do you judge or how do <laughs> the judges? Right. I painted a very visual there, haven't I? You did. Uh, look, to be honest, I don't know exactly how it works. And I'm, there's, there's a number of – there's a few dozen of us or more. I'm not exactly sure, but um, we're all provided a category to listen to. Um, I'm not allowed – I'm not allowed to devolve too much about what it is that I listen to, but um, you – after a while, you listen to many dozens and dozens of different podcasts and you have a couple of others that you talk about together. What do you think are the better ones and what do you think deserves this and that? So, and then you go away. So, and it's, yeah, it's good to have these awards, of course. When Not, are the awards? Well, last year they were October, November. They've changed every year. Last year was a bit of a, an upset because of COVID. So they, there was no actual uh, presentation. It was all online. Um, previous years, I think they've been in August or something, but I think they would be around October, November this year. And obviously with any industry and any sector getting awards, it's, it's nice. It shows recognition of hard work and doing a good job. But do people who get those awards, does it help their podcast? Is there a reason why people would go in those awards? I wouldn't necessarily start – I wouldn't for – for a business podcast, I don't think you should necessarily think of trying to get an award as part of your goal. There's other things you should do. But I've got to say I've been judging for a few years now and the, the professionalism and the quality of the top five to ten of each category is absolutely superb. And you'd have to be spending a fair bit of money or time or resources to get to that level. And, and you should – I'll ask you a less secretive question because I imagine you can't give out all the secrets of the podcast awards. Uh, what can I do to improve or what can we as a business do to improve our podcasting? <laughs> That's a hard question. Um, I think as a host, you're very talented. And have you had um, media training or communication training, Andrew? I've done lots of media. So I do a regular segment on ABC News Breakfast. Um, I'll friend and sparring partner Virginia Terrell is now on ABC yep. uh, 702 in Melbourne so I've done ABC for five years I, I, I actually did some communication skills training many years ago I do a lot of speaking keynote yep. speaking and I had some voice training from Lorraine Merritt and I always say Lorraine Merritt who is yep. a one of the teachers at NIDA and Lorraine was right. in Launceston when I was in Hobart. So I sought Lorraine out because I was getting a really sore throat speaking right. and I was very up here. So I, I learned some of those exercises. But no, as far as podcasting, I, I've I've listened a lot and I run Parallel Port. So I'll listen to a podcast with you or we've mentioned Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, and I'll go, ooh, hey, what am I learning and what's the craft? So that's really the mm -hmm. only training I've done is actually mm -hmm. uh, a student of podcasting. Well, you come across as naturally gifted to do it, but it makes sense from what you've done in the past as a business coach, as a fitness coach, being on media, being on the ABC, that does come across. As a, as a host, you need to be empathetic. You need to – I'm not saying that you you need to be. I'm In general, people oh, – Come on, move on, move on. <laughs> people, people, need, <laughs> people need to be empathetic, a high uh, emotional intelligence – and knowing, as Andrew Denton would say, knowing sometimes when to just be quiet and listen to the to the guest and not to interrupt. 
Back in the day, um, the only criticism I would have of Richard Feidler when he first started to do conversations is that he would jump in with a question before the interviewee had finished what they're saying. And what happens then is that as it's frustrating as a listener. You want to know what those final words are and you can't hear it. Uh, he doesn't seem to do that these days, but I do hear a lot of podcast hosts jump in before the guest has finished what they're saying, and we do this in normal what conversation. What do you mean? Well, give me an example. Let's show people an example. <laughs> and, when, and when it is in a podcast, you can't hear either of the people. They cancel each other out. Video is different because you can see the lips move and you can get the nuance, but when you're listening to a audio only, it's, you can't hear anything. So I've asked you a lot of questions today, and I've loved this. I was positively nervous. As I said, I had to bring my wow. state level down. <laughs> I really wish we'd asked all these questions to someone or had this resource way before we started a podcast. So I really do hope we help lots of people going down that pathway themselves. In wrapping up, is there a question you'd like me to ask you that I haven't asked, or is there a question you'd like to ask me? Oh, that's that's a good one. Let me just look at... Um, <laughs> no, I can't think of anything. Um, what makes a good interview? What makes a good interview? For a host, what makes a good interview is what – so what, what makes a good content is whatever the guest says. And you don't know whether the guest is going to be great or not sometimes. So it comes out to the questions that you elicit from your guest. Even though the guest is there with you know the weight on the world, it really is the host to bring out, elicit those answers from the guest. Um, so it comes down to your questions. And finding an angle when you're talking to them of bringing that out and just being aware um, perhaps of going down to a certain road that you otherwise wouldn't do if the questions are all written on a piece of paper. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So for people who want to get even more sense made, where can they contact you or where can they contact the companies that you work for? Yeah, please um, reach out to me. Um, so chris at soundcartel.com.au. My social handles are Mr. Chris Ashmore. That's MR. Chris Ashmore on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. connect with me there. That's where I'd prefer to be. Um, and I'll be, I'd love to hear from you. Well, we're going to finish with love from a young guy who traveled over to Japan and fell in love, not just with the country, but with a beautiful woman named Takeo, and then discovered there's this whole new language to learn. And I think podcast is a new language so many of us are learning. Some of us are bumbling and fumbling, but you've given us a roadmap today to look at why should you start a podcast, how should you start a podcast, and what should you do when you're producing that podcast from you know, pre-production to recording to post-production to platform to amplification so many nuggets in here today as well interspersed with a little bit of a romantic story and a romantic twist so i've loved today thank you for sharing so much and thank you for just helping navigate what is seen as a really difficult challenging area and you've given it a real structure so i really really appreciate your time today andrew thank you so much it was an absolute pleasure and uh, thanks for inviting me i loved it thank you
Hey, it's Andrew again, and we hope you enjoyed that interview. Just a quick note to remember to please go to nab.com.au slash businessfit. We hope you really liked this episode and received lots of value, and we would love it if you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast and click on the subscribe button. We'd also really appreciate it if you share it with friends or colleagues you think might also benefit from these messages. And we'd really appreciate if you can rate and review it. We love seeing your messages and love seeing your ratings. Okay, that's it for this time. We look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of NAB Business Fit.